Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallat. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. Together, we host the Silver Screen Savers podcast, a show about the world of cinema and a celebration of our love of movies. Today, we are here to celebrate one of our greatest movie stars, Will Smith. We'll be giving you our favorite Smith projects, which have all led up to his best actor-worthy performance in King Richard, the new movie available in theaters and on HBO Max. But first, our weekly watch list. Matt, what have you been watching? I've been watching a few different things. Some good, some not as good. Um, so I watched this movie. It was called Follow Me, also known as No Escape. I found it on Hulu. And it's about, it's a horror movie about this YouTuber that goes to Russia with his friends to do this, like the sketchy escape room. And it pretty much is cookie cutter, suspense horror in the vein of like Saw, Hostel, etc. Um, but those movies honestly, in my opinion, did it better. Um, and it was, con- and it, basically it was a cast list of like vaguely familiar B and C list actors that I was like, oh, I've seen that guy before on the CW. Um, I mean, it was it was watchable. It wasn't trash. It was watchable, but um, not much up more to say about that. I also Can I ask. I just going to ask quick. How often are you watching the CW? Not very often, which is why I, I say that guy and not um, not like oh that's what's his name. No, I didn't know if you're a big Vampire Diaries guy. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Um, and also in preparation for our Will Smith episode, I watched the movie Seven Pounds, starring Will Smith, Rosario Dawson. Um, I also saw watched the movie Date Night from 2010, directed by Sean Levy with Steve Carell, Tina Fey, and honestly, a laundry list of other actors that would be way too expensive to put in a movie together again. In this day and age, you're not gonna throw Marky Mark a call out. <laughs> I mean, Mark Wahlberg was in that. Mila Kunis, um, John Bernthal had a bit part in it. Like, there were a lot. Of, like, I, I remember. I, I don't remember. Well, these a lot of these people didn't really have careers yet by that point. JB Smooth. JB Smooth. Well, he was on Curb Your Enthusiasm by that point, wasn't he? So he kind of had. He was somewhat known. Yeah, he was in it. But um, but yeah, it just had like all these really good pro- actors that would go on to do great things in the 2010s. In this rom com from 2010, and it's just it was just fun to watch and go back and be like, hey, that's that person. Uh, look, you know, this person did not went on to do such great things, and they're playing a bit part in this rom com. Yeah, I, speaking I of which, was, well. We'll get to another movie where that that features prominently. Oh, that's uh, true. Hey, look at that guy. <laughs> um, and then I also saw Ghostbusters Afterlife, um, which obviously this isn't going to be a review of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, our friends over at So Wizard actually did a review of that. So if you want a more in-depth review with more full takes, you can definitely check them out. Um, but what I will say about Ghostbusters Afterlife is that I enjoyed it. I liked what they did with it. It was very much a nostalgia trip. Um, I know some people kind of rank on it for that, but I personally enjoyed it. So 
that's about the most I'll say for sake of time. Um, and I'll let you guys get to your picks for this. Should week. we just should we just do this right now? The Ghostbusters Afterlife thing. Maybe maybe a quick maybe okay maybe a quick okay uh, quickly. So I this is by Jason Reitman, who um, his father Ivan Reitman um, did the original Ghostbusters. He makes Juno up in the air, young adult. Um, it's written by him and Gil Keenan, who directed my beloved Monster House. Uh, so I, I wasn't expecting this to be a masterpiece, and it's not. It's a perfectly enjoyable movie for like the first three quarters of it. It's not very good, but I have a couple of huge gripes with it. One is that this takes place in a town called Somerville, and it takes place in June. And it is getting released in late November, and I, I cannot comprehend this. I will maybe try to do some research and see if it was a COVID push. I can understand that, but why not push it to the summer of 2022? I don't know if there's just like a stacked slate, but like I would have felt so much more positive about this if I had walked out of the theater in the 75 degree weather. Um, I, I just I don't understand why this is a late November movie. It doesn't make sense to me. I seem to make a decent amount of money, so good for them. Um, but I, I have, I'll save my other big gripe until after Tyler speaks on this. I hated it. <laughs> I did not enjoy it. <laughs> I, I, I felt, and I feel this way a lot of, like I mentioned to you, Mike, afterwards, I feel this way about a lot of these, like, reboot, sequel boot type of things. And, I, like, the whole time I felt like a studio executive was just next to me, nudging me, like, hey, remember that from the original? Remember that? Yeah. The worst, the worst offender. I'm gonna spoil this for you because. All it, right, let's it, just give a few seconds. Yeah, spoilers spoiler for Ghostbusters here. Afterlife. Quick. Spoiler warning: If you have not seen the following movie, please turn back or accept the consequences. But this this made me roll my eyes so hard they almost popped out of their sockets and like walked out of the movie theater themselves. And that was when Bokeem Woodbine's sheriff character handed her the phone for her phone call. I was like, "Who are you gonna call?" Yeah, <laughs> so badly done. I I love that part. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> that was so awful. It is. It, I wanted this movie to be successful, but I just I I got to talk about the end. And this is gonna be a major spoiler for the end. So give you a couple of seconds to to fast forward. But at the end, all the kids, the family, they're in a big debacle. Ghosts are gonna take over the world. They can't capture the ghosts. And then, lo and behold, who drops in but Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and Ernie Hudson just in their suits with their proton blasters. And it goes from, like, a pretty tense, like, big blockbuster climax into, like, a sitcom for third complete with like doop 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 music and you're like what is going I, he's like having these quips and while this ghost is just like why did the ghost pause like the ghost was just standing there you, you realize that the original movie was was nothing without its quips like that's great those were good these were not yeah bill I, murray had no interest in being in this, all of this quip. And I just, the, so Harold Ramis um, is not alive anymore. Um, rest in peace, Harold Ramis was amazing. But they they CGI him as a ghost to come back and help his granddaughter in this. And half of me was like, oh, this is a very touching tribute. It's sweet to see a moment like that. And half of it was just 
just didn't feel right. I I don't know. It it didn't sit completely well with me. They'll like talk to the Harold Ramis ghost and he'll just like kind of nod <laughs> and like he doesn't speak. Um and I don't know. I just the whole thing it went from like a pretty not great but okay blockbuster to the worst kind of nostalgia reboot i think and i didn't want it to be like that because the first part was perfectly fine i i think you're being too harsh on it but that's i know i'm just, i i understand these are movies and i'm not taking it like life or death serious at the same time i'm just like tired of them trying to get people to the theater with hey remember that thing well we're just going to give you like a lamer version of that thing the story did not justify it, its own existence without having to have that ending where the original gi's just come in as this deus ex machina mm-hmm. and especially right as it's about to oh gozar is gonna get him and they're like ah no we're right here yeah are you standing there waiting for your entrance and I was rooting for this movie. I was in, enjoying like the first three quarters of it. I just, I don't know. That was a total Fonzie shark jump at I, the end. I don't know. I liked I liked all the acting in it for the most part. Um, it wasn't perfect, yeah, but I, I absolutely liked, I liked every I liked the parts. I liked all of the parts that were in it. I do agree that the execution was divisive. I'll say I will agree. I will give you that it was divisive, and I could absolutely see a lot of the critiques about it but i personally enjoyed it and i will honestly say i told you guys this after we saw it um it's really hard to compare that with our actual review that's coming up later with king richard because i saw them both in the same day and Mm -hmm. as far as how much enjoyment i got out of each this has nothing to do with whether one which one's the objectively better movie because i would say king richard objectively but as far as pure enjoyment that I got from watching each, I like this one better. All right, no argument with that. You get a hearty recommend from Matt. Um, I do. I will shout out you. Like you said, great performances. McKenna Grace, I think, is like the absolute star of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Rudd, Carrie Coon, very fun presences, even when their characters are um, a little ridiculous. Logan Kim, who plays podcast in the movie. <laughs> Despite his name being podcast, uh, he was he was awesome. I hope to see him in a lot more stuff. Um, even the one one thing, one other thing, we've all seen in the trailers uh, the little marshmallow men. Yes, mm-hmm. when Paul Rudd's character first sees them, one of them bites his finger and he goes "ouch" and pulls back. Why would a marshmallow biting you hurt? Was it the shock, or did does this thing have razor-sharp teeth? It's a marshmallow. <laughs> also, uh, why are there ghosts in the marshmallows? <laughs> Unlike all the other ghosts. It's because it's they're nudging you again. Remember that? Remember the Stay Puft Marshmallow? <laughs> yeah, man? I get it, but the Stay Puft very... Marshmallow Man made sense. He was a possessed statue of yeah. why they possessed what... <laughs> small marshmallow men made out of real marshmallows. <laughs> It was very cute. I'll give it that. And then, yeah, that and like the crunch bar and Sigourney Weaver's admittedly unnecessary. <laughs> that was just odd. At the end. Yeah, that was I, <laughs> just like, kind of tacked on. Just be like, if you sat through the credits for five minutes, this is what you get. Yeah, that was 
That was like getting candy corn on Halloween. You're like, um, thank you. I'm not going to eat this, but okay. <laughs> well, that, that's that's like the, um, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, that, that's like the epitome of our difference of opinion on this movie because I love candy corn. Okay, fit. What do you not like? Pretzels? You want a toothbrush on Halloween? Those, those popcorn ball things. Oh, I love. See, I that's like, the. I, like I love those. No. <laughs> no. Popcorn love, balls pass candy corn like every candy day corn, of the week. So I'm very divided here. <laughs> well, I'm glad we can provide our listeners with such diverse opinions. Listeners, let us know. Candy corn or popcorn balls. You be the judge, all right? We'll let Hashtag. you guys decide. I have a very fitting shirt for this. You can't yeah, he's it. wearing a Halloween shirt. John Carpenter's Halloween. Tyler, you didn't tell us yet what you've been watching this week. Oh, I've been watching two very bad movies. One of them okay. is Ghostbusters Afterlife. <laughs> and the second one was uh, the Netflix movie. I don't know if it's a Netflix original or if it's just on Netflix. The Night Clerk. With Ty Sheridan and Ana de Armas. And it's basically a thriller with no thrills. <laughs> Just a terrible plot. They, they set up a twist. I'm going to spoil this movie because I'm going to tell you right now, don't watch this movie. <laughs> it's a waste of time. Not even my girl Ana de Armas can save it. <laughs> but basically, they set up a twist and you're supposed to not know that like Ana de Armas' character is the mistress of the husband who kills the wife in the beginning of the movie. But, like, I thought that was supposed to be known from the beginning, and then they set it up as, like, a twist, and I'm like, wait, it wasn't, I thought that was obvious, so this movie just is really not aware of, like, itself. Well, well, you can't cast Ana de Armas in a part and not expect her to be, like, the mistress of the husband that killed, that is actually evil. I don't know. Her her early roles are very, like, scumbaggy, like this and Knock Knock, she just plays complete scumbag. Good knives out. She wasn't. Yeah, no, that's that's her turning point. Yeah, and she was wonderful. I All right, well, I guess don't watch the Night Clerk. Um, I have a wonderful movie to recommend to you guys. This is Passing, and this is a new director spotlight, which we love on the show. This is written and directed by Rebecca Hall, uh, who you may have seen act in anything from one of my favorite roles, Christine. Uh, the movie from 2016, and earlier in this year, she was in Godzilla vs. Kong. Uh, she was the one who says, Kong doesn't back down, or what's the line? I don't remember. Me either, I forgot There's that nothing movie. there. Kong doesn't <laughs> submit to other people, whatever she says. Uh, but that's Rebecca Hall. What about uh, the this night is... house? <laughs> yeah, you're not going to call it the night house. <laughs> I was really in a good mood, and then you just brought that up, and... This, but Passing is based on the novel by Nella Larson of the same name. It's a great book. Uh, this is about two African-American women in 1920s New York, one who has been passing as white for her entire adult life. Uh, chance encounter between them leads to a very smart, no easy answers exploration of identity, of racial tension. And also this movie uh, very effectively touches on like, the inability to be completely happy, right? Like everything in life is a trade-off. And when you think you've you've made it and you've had it all, uh, you see an unforeseen challenge. 
these characters are complicated. They're believable. Uh, played especially excellently uh, by Ruth Nega, Tessa Thompson, Andre Holland. Um, Tessa Thompson and Andre Holland are a married couple, and they have some of the best couple fights I've seen all year. They have the kind of arguments where uh, you don't know which one is right, and you don't know which one you believe in. You know both of them are right at the same time. Uh, this is excellent black and white cinematography by Edward Grau. It's a really clever way to like blur the skin tones of people, add a lot of shadowiness to it. So please support this. It's on Netflix, available for you if you have a Netflix subscription. Uh, this is passing. Please watch it. Yeah, I got to say, I added that to my watch list because I saw Rebecca Hall, Tessa Thompson, and I was sold at that point. But with such, yeah. a, such a glowing review of it, I, I definitely need to make sure I watch that soon. Absolutely, definitely. Let us know what you thought. All right, so we are going to move now. We got a couple of trailers, but before that, actually, we got our ambulance countdown. We're down to 87 days until Michael Bazin. All right, that's ambulance. And now for a couple of trailers. First one we watched is Dog, right? This movie is just called Dog. Uh, this is co-directed by Channing Tatum and Reed Carolyn, who wrote both of the Magic Mike movies. Uh, so I'm assuming a previous relationship with Channing Tatum. And here's the description from Google. With a dog named Lulu by his side, Army Ranger Briggs races down the Pacific coast to make it to a soldier's funeral on time. This dog is very unruly. It's an unruly dog movie. Um, but it looks like they're going to be best buds by the end. What did you guys think of the dog trailer? Uh, I I could care less. You could care less, my lord. That's... I feel. I, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I, I feel like we've seen this a variation of this movie a million times. Right, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Well, I you haven't seen Lulu. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I don't mean I could care less. Like, I don't love a good dog, dog man's best friend movie, but I agree with Tyler. Like, this has been done, however many times. Mm. Um, and the trailer didn't really do enough to set it apart from other movies like that, where it's more just like I'm not interested. Maybe I couldn't care less is a bit harsh of a take, but it just, it just didn't. The first trailer didn't do enough for me. We have seen this formula before, uh, so we're going to have to play a new silver screen game. Will the dog die by the end? This is not coming out until 2022, but we're going to call it now. Is the dog going to die by the end of the movie, Tyler, yes or no? I think so. I think it's going to be a very emotional scene where that's the ending of the film. And then he's going right. to go on to be like, oh, but it was such an inspirational dog. Tyler's yes. Matt, what do you think? No. I think um, I think the owner's gonna die. Oh, interesting! Channing Tatum is gonna die. Yeah, it's gonna GI Joe it. Mm. Mm. I'm gonna say no because this movie is about them racing down the Pacific coast, which is gonna take I'm gonna say not that many years to race down the Pacific coast. I don't know Unless what, how long this movie takes place over, so my answer may not make sense. But... I don't know either. There might be a flash forward, but they're just racing down the Pacific coast, so unless Lulu is on her very last doggy legs, well, I'm going to say no. You never know what kind of peril they could get into, though. I mean, This is true. 
you know, Danny McBride could come out of nowhere and make Channing Tatum into a gimp. Like in This is the End. Like in This is the End, yeah. I, I just really hope Lulu does not have to join the ranks of Dewey, Doodoo, and the Sock Monkey. Are you saying, wait, they're racing down the Pacific Coast? Yes. You think they're going to run into Finch along the way? And not Finch, might. Jeff. They might Jeff. run into Jeff. No, Jeff. Finch Gladstone. <laughs> yeah. It's not Finch uh, Finch Weinberg. It's Finch Gladstone. He's going to reunite with Joey. All right, and then the second trailer we got is American Underdog. This is a biopic of Kurt Warner, uh, who went from always the famous story, bagging groceries, to being an NFL quarterback. Uh, did you guys you excited for this? Are you interested in the Kurt Warner story? Um, I, I'm more excited for it than I thought I would after seeing the trailer, ironically, after what my feelings about the last trailer. But um, I don't know. I think it looks touching. It's like a good, looks like a decent sports movie. Which I'm not a huge sports movie guy, so for me to conceive that after watching one trailer is pretty significant. I would say. Hmm. I will like it a lot if it ends on, like, Kurt Warner being upset by the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Hey, no spoilers. <laughs> if that's the ending, I'll love it. But I like I like Zach Levi a lot. He doesn't know how to throw a football, unfortunately. Um, you'd think someone would have been like, hey, Zach, this is how you throw a football. He's just kind of like, eh, the whole trailer. But, yeah, it looks better than I thought, than I expected. Do you think every time he threw the football, he went, Shazam! <laughs> he could have. Also, speaking of Zach Levi, watch the show Chuck. Great show. Very underrated. <laughs> yes. NBC show from the, the 2000s, 07. correct? 07. I think 07 to like 2012, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. I have a comment about this trailer. It has absolutely nothing to do with Kurt Warner. All respect to him. And this is about Anna Paquin. Is that, I just got to say, we haven't respected Anna Paquin enough in the last few years, okay? This is somebody whose first role... Uh, was in the piano at 11 years old, and she blew the socks out of most adult actors in that movie, Jane Campion's The Piano. She won an Oscar at age 11 and then went on to be in a lot of great roles. If you've ever seen that, if you've ever seen Margaret, then you know uh, what an amazing actress she is. Uh, If you're a True Blood fan, uh, she was in that for several years, and I just feel like in the last few years we have not respected or admired Anna Paquin enough. Um, so, I don't know. Hopefully she was happy with being in American Underdog. But what, what has she done in the last few years, though? Been in American Underdog. <laughs> she had, I mean, like, five minutes of screen time in The Irishman. She Yeah, she had, like, three lines in The Irishman. <laughs> Which is not always about the number of lines at the same time. Um, maybe there could have been. So, love for Anna Paquin. Uh, I wish nothing but absolute amazingness for her. And this is coming to us, American Underdog coming to us from Andrew and John Irwin, who are Christian filmmakers. Um, I have not seen any of their films. Oh, I, I lost interest in this movie. <laughs> hey, give it a chance. Give it a chance. <laughs> this is going to be very generic. <laughs> we don't know that yet. We're going to get Scott Stab to do the soundtrack. I do want to be very snarky when we see in the trailer when he's like they're watching football with his son on TV 
And his son's like, oh, I would have picked you. I expect him to be like, well, are you a scout? Are you a GM? Well, it doesn't really matter what if you would have picked me. What NFL team are you a part of? Yeah. Thanks for drafting me, son. All right, we are going to move now to our discussion of Will Smith. I just have a dedication that I want to do. I'm dedicating this list. I'm dedicating this episode to my mom. She is the one who first introduced me to his music, his movies. I have so many memories of watching Will Smith movies with her. So shout out to you, mom. Uh, Let's get to the list. Before we do our top films, I just want to get a little opinion on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I think this was many people's first introduction to Will Smith. Were you guys Fresh Prince of Bel-Air watchers? I was a huge Fresh Prince of Bel-Air fan, so yes, mm. I yeah, love that show. Yeah, Matt, you too? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I love the Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince had such an incredible cast, uh, not just Will Smith, but James Avery and everybody else. And the big takeaway that I get from that is it was one of the only sitcoms that I thought didn't get stupid by the end. I feel like so many sitcoms, the majority in fact, just crumble by their later seasons, and this one never did. And one of the reasons for that uh, was because it was it was just funny the whole time, um, but also it was one of those shows that grew with the characters, right? Uh, Will Smith and the rest of the family, you know, moving on from school to adulthood, and it was always very authentic. Um, and there was a lot of development in there. And I absolutely loved it for years, and I could watch it forever. But it appears, Tyler, you shared this with us right before we sat down don't, here. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> I'm not shooting anybody quite yet, but there was a Peacock teaser for a new Fresh Prince series. Do you guys <laughs> yeah, want to walk us through your... Do you want to walk us through how you discovered this and what your feelings are about this? I think it was like a suggested Google story is how I saw it. And I clicked it thinking it was a joke. And I watched the teaser and I'm just like, oh my god. (laughs) It looks like a CW. Like CW took Fresh Prince and like, let's make it a dramatic one hour serial. It is a one hour show, by the way. That was, that's on the the description. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a one hour drama now. (laughs) One hour So in the teaser... We get who I assume is is playing the titular character, and he's underwater. So I'm assuming in this reboot, not much has changed, but he lived underwater. So I this just, is taking place in the year 3000. Real quick. Yes. That So so many things do this now, is they play a classic song slowed down in the trailer, this uh, is the Fresh Prince of Bel Air theme song. Yeah. Slowed down dramatically. <laughs> I'm telling you, they should have played the Jonas Brothers because he's living underwater now. <laughs> yeah, this, I don't. We'll see. I mean, I guess I'm more interested. I haven't watched a Peacock original yet, so I'm, maybe this could be the first one. I'm curious about the episode where Carlton gets a gun. <laughs> That's gonna be I, he's gonna I don't want to see <laughs> I don't want to see the episode where Uncle Phil sits on the rabbit. That's the only unforgivable thing that that show ever did. That was awful. <laughs> Cringe every time I see it. 
How do you think they're going to handle Jeffrey in this? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's interesting. Hopefully, Jeffrey will get his risky business uh, dancing to Bob Seger scene. But I don't know if, it's, if it fits in an hour-long drama. That That's definitely going to work. I mean, it's produced by Will Smith, right? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, oh, okay. his dream was like a dark take on it. Okay. I mean, I, I trust in him. That was his baby, so I, I trust in it. Speaking of, I think we should move to our top three Will Smith movies. He is somebody who has been in my movie heart for my entire life. Uh, we're going to talk about our favorites. So, uh, Tyler, why don't you start us off with number three? I said I wasn't going to include it, but you know, the more I thought about it, this is just a big movie in my childhood, and that's the original Men in Black. 97, I believe. Barry Sonnenfeld, Sonnenfeld direct that. I'm sorry, Barry. Um, I just, I, I, when I think about it, first of all, I, whenever I think about it, it's a scene from Men in Black 2, which I feel bad for, but the original was much better. Um, the cricket scene, I remember as a kid just dying at that. He gets the little gun. <laughs> He's like, what is this? Fires it and flies back into a car. Um, but just him and Tommy Lee Jones are incredible in that movie. And if you haven't seen it, I mean, who hasn't? But <laughs> just go and see it. It's a great movie. I, I agree, and I want to add on to that since you kind of took my number one pick, but that's fine. Oh, I'm um, sorry. I thought you didn't have it. I thought you said you didn't have it. No, I, I said I did have it, but it's Oh, fine. I thought you said you didn't. That's my fault. Uh, I'm sorry. No worries. No worries. Um, I, I'll just addendum onto that. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies that I remember from my childhood, even though it's not necessarily like a kid's movie per se, but it's it's accessible. And I will say, though, one of the most traumatic scenes from my childhood was from the first one when the alien possessed Vincent D'Afrio's character. I forgot his name. Um, and he, like, took his skin and he, like, stretched his face out. Oh, yeah. Like, that that scene, I remember that scarred me as a child for quite a while. <laughs> I think this speaks absolutely to the one of his greatest skills as a movie star was just the absolute charisma in that... He starred in, like, two huge blockbusters surrounding aliens, you know, Men in Black and Independence Day, and they're both, you know, iconic, legendary films. Uh, but, Matt, why don't you give us your number three? All right. Um, I guess I should have prefaced this sooner with saying, going into this, I was never really a big Will Smith guy. Hold for booze, hold for booze. Ooh. Um. But in the process of preparing for this episode and really taking a deeper dive on his body of work, I definitely warmed up to him. Um, but my favorite Will Smith role, it's not from a good movie, if that makes sense. So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm going with Suicide Squad, his uh, portrayal of Deadshot <laughs> in Suicide Squad, because he was like one of the only redeeming qualities of that movie, in my opinion. Like, he played it with such a charm. He played it um, very well. He played Deadshot very well. Um, and he, his chemistry, he, I thought he had pretty good chemistry with Margot Robbie and that, as well as another movie called Focus, which was like a crime heist movie. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was my number three. Mm, yeah, this, I, I frequently forget that he was in this. Um, and Will Smith, I guess, is joining the club with Chloe Zhao of people who don't quite have your heart yet. 
No, Chloe, Chloe won it with Eternals. Oh, really? I mean, I liked Eternals enough. More, I mean, I liked it better than No Man Land. Mm. <laughs> As a debate for another day. <laughs> We're going to have to have a showdown episode. <laughs> All right, I have, uh, I have four picks, really, because I have one special mention that needs to be defended, and that is Shark Tale. Shark Tale is an animated movie from 2004. This is about Oscar, who is a fish who works at a whale wash, who has to pretend to be the shark slayer, goes into cahoots with a runaway vegetarian shark who's hiding from his mafia shark family. Uh, this is directed by Vicky Jensen, uh, Bebo Bergeron, and Rob Letterman. Here, here's the cast of Shark Tale. You guys ready for this one? I'm Will ready. Smith. Robert De Niro, Jack Black, Renee Zellweger, Angelina Jolie, Ziggy Marley, Martin Scorsese as Sykes the Fish, Peter Falcons in this, Katie Couric, Hans Zimmer did the music for Shark Tale. It is funny, it is exciting, it has great lines. I love it. Shark Tale. Are I you guys going to fight me on this? Exi- Shark Tale exists, honestly. Hmm. I, I did for a minute until I started diving into Will Smith stuff. Um, but that's kind of how I felt when I watched Date Night, like I was talking about earlier. You know, a, a movie that's so stacked, but then you go back and then you, you never realized how stacked it was until you go back and see all who was in it. Mm, yeah, also, and we didn't have IMDb then, so like we couldn't really go back and be like, oh, that's that person, oh, that's this person. This is true. Although the people that knew back in 2004, hit us up. Let us know that you love Shark Tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he didn't. Will Smith didn't venture into animation too too many times. Um, he did Spies in Disguise, I think, last year, the year before. I don't think that was a big hit. I think that was a Tom Holland mm. co-star. I don't know a single person that saw that movie, which is I'm not speaking to its quality. It's just uh, interesting that he didn't. Um, as much as he was committed to being a blockbuster star, he didn't get into voicing animation too much. Um, which is, I don't want to say one of the more surefire ways to make money, but often is. But my actual number three pick is Hitch. This is from 2005, comes from director Andy Tennant and writer Kevin Bish. Uh, This is where Will Smith plays Hitch, who is a dating coach. He begins mentoring Kevin James. Uh, He has chemistry and has good scenes with Kevin James. I am a lover of Kevin James, but his movie career has... Uh, he is not bad at a thousand. So the fact that Will can kind of make him uh, a good actor in these scenes and have chemistry with him, I think, uh, speaks volumes. At the same time, Hitch is having trouble trying to win the heart of Ava Mendez, who is a tabloid reporter. Um, this is not anybody's best movie that is involved in the movie. However, the reason I picked it is, one, because I like it, and two, is that this is a rare category for Will Smith. This is the rare romantic comedy Will Smith. Romantic comedy is already a little rare uh, in our day and age. It's charming, funny, it has a dance montage at the end. For as charismatic and appealing and alluring as Will Smith is, I feel like he wasn't always allowed to be as romantic as... You would think somebody who is so attractive and charismatic could be, um, but this is one of the few times he gets to be romantic. The other one, the other major one, I would say, Matt, you mentioned with Focus, he gets to have 
Uh, some great scenes with Margot Robbie, a sort of will-they-won't-they they kind of thing. Again, he's always been sort of sexual or romantic in a lot of other movies, but we didn't really get romantic will all that much. So that's why I am uh, choosing Hitch. Hitch, by the way, made $371 million. This is back in 2005. I don't know if uh, that would happen if for romantic comedies nowadays. When was the last time we had a romantic comedy that was like not a direct VOD or Hallmark Channel movie? Last Christmas. Last Christmas? What? You really pulled that one <laughs> from six feet That's deep in, the, in the your hat. The first thing I could think of was <laughs> last Christmas. <laughs> oh my lord. Uh. The uh, Amelia Clark, Henry Golding, Emma Thompson I th- uh, was involved, directed that, right? Last Who Christmas, it? she did. No, I don't think he directed it. He might have. No, I said Emma Thompson. Oh, Emma Thompson may have directed it. I don't know. Oh no, I didn't it was watch Paul Last Feig. Christmas. It was oh, Paul it was Feig. Paul <laughs> Emma Thompson is just in it. That made uh just 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 for clarity, Last Christmas made a hundred and twenty three million dollars. <laughs> it's a hundred million dollars more than I was expecting. Bring, bring romantic comedies back. It's not my favorite genre of movie, but I like to have them around, and maybe we can talk about them on a future See, episode. See, Matthew McConaughey, when he, became, when he got into some more serious roles, he destroyed the romantic comedy genre. Oh, yeah. There was nobody to lean on the poster. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not seeing any high-profile projects. I just Googled recent romantic comedies, and Cinderella, the new one, is <laughs> listed... Yeah, I don't know about that. Does that mean, uh, you know what that means? We have to start working on a screenplay. That's true. You you know where rom-coms live now? You know where rom-coms live? On Netflix. Mm -hmm. You know, Kissing Booth, all the boys I've ever, I've never loved, I've ever loved. She's loving somebody. We just gotta make sure Netflix says it's the best, it's the highest watch thing and people will watch it. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. Really oh, I watched, uh, I watched Locked Down earlier this year. This was in, like, heavy COVID times. Um, this is Chiwetel Ejiofor and Anne Hathaway who are, like, locked down. And this is... Um, it's a COVID movie that just forgets that it's a COVID movie during the height of it. Uh, and I, I can't say that I recommend it. Um, but I guess it is a romantic comedy, so <laughs> sure, that, strong. Uh, re- that comes to us that. from Sounds from great. Doug Lyman. So, all right, Matt, why don't you give us your or no, Tyler? I'm sorry, we went reverse order today. Tyler, why don't you give us your number two Will Smith movie? My number two is by a director who's a big uh, big deal on this channel, Michael Bay. Uh, Bad Boys. Uh, which I don't know how you feel about Bad Boys. I think it's just a fun action film. I think Will Smith's chemistry with Martin Lawrence is great. Uh, It's funny. It's cool action. It's got Peter Stormare, who's starring in my favorite movie of all time, Fargo. So that gets it points. Uh, The story's not great, but I I think the the performances carry it over that, and they both do well. It's a a Michael Bay movie, so you shouldn't go in expecting, like, a masterpiece of storytelling but it's fun it's funny and it's got good performances 
This is one of the rare things. I think Bad Boys 2 is better than Bad Boys. Do you really? Yeah, and I think Bad Boys for Life is better than the first one as well. I don't know about Bad Boys 2. Hmm. Yeah. I gotta be honest, I didn't see any of them. You're a very bad boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Takes full advantage of the Will Smith uh, persona. Martin Lawrence, I think, kills it in those movies. Yeah. And Joe Pantoliano is just a, a treasure in those. They work really well off each other, Lawrence and Smith. Yes, they absolutely do. Uh, Matt, how about you, number two? All right, my number two. I know I alluded to it earlier, but during my Will Smith deep dive, I did catch this movie from, I think, 2008 called Seven Pounds. Uh, I forget the name of the director, Mike. I think he also Gabriele Mu- Who was it? Gabriele Muccino. Yes. Um, who... He directed your number one, right? Or your number two? No, my number two. Either way. Um, I know we were just talking about how um, you know Will Smith doesn't really get to show off romantic chops that often, but he kind of he did display that a little bit in this movie, although it was kind of a, a, a weird premise of doing so. Yeah. Um, he plays this IRS agent um, that basically goes around and starts helping people with... Um, I'm trying to remember. Was it in like insider knowledge or something? Ah, uh, uh, yes, I believe so. Something like that. Yeah, it was a good movie. Um, him and Rosario Dawson were fantastic. Um, and then it has this bit of a twist at the end once you find out what his secret is, which I mean, it alludes to the secret in the synopsis. So I mean, you know, there's something, there's more to the story than meets the eye. But when it finally all unfolds and plays out it's quite um harrowing it's quite poignant in my opinion and i think will smith is just firing in all cylinders in this one yeah i will uh i agree it's it's one of his dramatic roles which i will talk about in a second um i just want to do the same thing for anna paquin or for rosario dawson that i did for anna paquin i think she is just somebody who is underrated at this point she's a great Great actress. Uh, she was in a movie earlier this year called The Waterman. Very great dramatic role. Love Rosario Dawson. And speaking of Will Smith dramatic, my number two is The Pursuit of Happiness. This is from 2006. As I mentioned, it's directed by Gabriele Muccino, written by Stephen Conrad, and based on the memoir, because this is based on a true story, by Chris Gardner and Quincy Trope. Uh, Will Smith plays Chris Gardner, who is a homeless salesman who struggles to survive with his young son as he lands a position that will lead them to a better life. I think this is by and far his best sort of dramatic role. Um, This is kind of like the, I would say, second biggest category of his career. We have Six Degrees of Separation, Legend of Bagger Vance, um, Ali, Oscar-nominated Seven Pounds, Concussion, uh, which I think I'm going to defend in a minute. Uh, Collateral Beauty, and then we'll talk about King Richard. But I think that The Pursuit of Happiness is his best dr- straight-up dramatic role. Uh, he It combines sort of his appeal with this really wonderful, emotional, dramatic performance. He nails so many scenes that like I loved when I was a kid, and I'm like, whoa, this is acting, this is drama. The basketball scene, uh, the Rubik's Cube, the the paint on the shirt interview, you know, that guy must have had on some nice pants. Uh, <laughs> that line. 
And I think this is by and far his best movie with his son, Jaden Smith. And you guys, I know you guys love After Earth and you're going to fight me on that, but um, I'm sticking with The Pursuit of Happiness. Big After Earth, guys. Yeah, totally. Mm. Uh, How about Tyler, your number one? My number one is Independence Day. Um, I I love Independence Day. It's a movie I've seen probably like 30 times. Um, Every time I watch it, the president's speech, I'm just like, yeah, let's go fight some aliens. And I run through a brick wall every time. (laughs) Bill Pullman. Uh, Right? Bill Pullman? Yep. Okay. (laughs) I always get him and Bill Paxton mixed up. (laughs) Um, Sorry, Bill's. But uh, it's, I think it's the peak Roland Emmerich formula of just buildings being exploded, like famous buildings. You know, you saw the White House explode. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Just keep pushing well, out. You, know? you haven't seen Moonfall yet. I haven't so. seen Moonfall. That might perfect it. But in my opinion, Independence Day, it's all you need. We saw some cool, famous buildings explode. We're, we're good. Um, but I just love that movie. I can watch it all the time. I think Will Smith is great in it. He delivers the great one-liner, like, Welcome to Earth, which is yeah. now a Darren Aronofsky-directed uh, <laughs> series. <laughs> so you can see the cachet that line holds. Yeah. Can I ask how running through a brick wall is going to help fight aliens? The aliens might be on the other side of the brick wall. <laughs> you can't stop is them that, on that side. Is of that the, brick the wall. secret that we learn at the end of Signs that running through brick walls is going <laughs> to stop the, the aliens? That's the ending of Signs. Like, we have yeah. to run through this brick wall, and then you end up at Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> but what kind no, of Narnia. Are they, <laughs> Any aliens. <laughs> they could be just picking aliens. The Mars attacks aliens. <laughs> I liked Mars Attacks when I was a kid. <laughs> I did too. Just, I, I love Tim Burton, so I have a soft spot. Uh, Matt, I know we already talked about it, but why don't you give us uh, your take on your number one? Um, I mean, it's pretty much all the same stuff that Tyler said. Um, it was a very notable movie in my childhood. It's one of the first Will Smith movies I remember actually seeing. What is it? Men in Black. Okay. I just want to make sure you said it. I did say it. Um... But um, yeah, and the Vincent D'Onofrio face pulling scene was was very haunting. Honestly, this sounds like it haunted you. I, I the, the 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 whole Vincent D'Onofrio's performance in that is very chilling, just from the way he walks and stuff yeah. and his movements. Like, yeah. okay, I don't. Have you guys seen the cell? Creepy. I have not. No. Okay, watch the cell and then tell me which is the creepier D'Onofrio performance. D'Onofrio has a lot of creepier performances. Or like, even um, in Full, Full Metal, Metal Jacket. Jacket. Yeah, when he's like yeah. 7.62 millimeter. Yeah. Uh, also, a side note on speaking of D'Onofrio, he did retweet a Hawkeye uh, tweet earlier this week. Um, I remember texting you guys like, does this mean Kingpin confirmed? Question mark. Mm. I hope so. He's he like, killed it as Kingpin. Because he's like, oh man, I love these Marvel movies. Looks good. <laughs> D'Onofrio is someone who could be in anything, and I'll just, like, his performance will be good. I love D'Onofrio. Yeah, he could be in Cars on the Road, and that would be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> he would be, at least. He, yeah. Uh, but, but, back, but on Men in Black, um, I mean, like Tyler said, you know, Will Smith's chemistry with like Tommy Lee Jones and like the rest of the cast, it was all top notch. The comedic timing was on point. It's just yeah, a good, a good 
like action comedy. And very good thing that Will Smith teamed with Barry Sonnenfeld in Men in Black before he did Wild Wild West. Because I don't, I don't know if he would have done Men in Black if he had done Wild Wild West first. Uh, but my number one is a movie from 2007. My picks have gone 04, 05, 06, 07. And if you know the chronology, you know that I am talking about I Am Legend. This is directed by Francis Lawrence, written by Mark Brosodovic and Akiva Goldsman. It is based on I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. This is about Robert Neville, who's played by Will Smith, a scientist living in a post-apocalyptic New York after a man-made plague. He searches for other survivors with his dog, uh, but has to get inside before dark because mutant vampire creatures roam the streets at night. This is why my, this is my number one. This is Will Smith's ultimate movie star test, right? He is by himself for a huge portion of this movie, and he absolutely carries it. He nails scenes that would be totally stupid and would absolutely crumble uh, with somebody else who wasn't as captivating, right? He Sandra has an Bullock. Emo- <laughs> uh, that's, uh, you know how I feel about that. Uh, but he has Tom to have... Hanks? He's done it twice. And he killed it both times. But Will Smith has to have an emotional scene where he approaches a lady mannequin for the first time and talk to her, and he's almost crying, and it completely works. He has to scream and shoot a mannequin named Fred, <laughs> and it is absolutely infuriating. <laughs> All right, and don't get me started on the dog scene where it is just his face taking us through all of the emotions and he just absolutely kills it. It is so sad and not to mention the final showdown. I won't ruin it, but he is excellent throughout this whole movie. I think it may be his best performance of all. Um, And not only that, but it is in his largest category of his career, which is the blockbuster phase, right? We have the sort of romantic phase. We have dramatic phase and his biggest the blockbuster right this is the bad boys franchise independence day men in black um enemy of the state wild wild west i robot hancock after earth suicide squad bright gemini man he's done so many and i am legend uh made 585 million dollars all right so we just gave you eight films right because you guys had one pick that was similar correct yeah Mm -hmm. um but he has done plenty of others i said i was going to defend concussion and i think i'm going to a little bit is that this is not a great movie but it's a very interesting story um and i think will smith has a good performance in it um it was very much lambasted at the time, and his tell-the-truth scene was played over and over to criticism. Uh, it's, it's not as laughable in the movie. I gotta defend this a little bit. I don't think it's quite as earth-shattering as maybe some people thought it was going to be, uh, but a very, uh, a very fascinating story. Oh, you did, I will say, with King Richard at the trailer, you, you, we, we made fun of the, the first opening. Exactly. What's going on? Turned- and it turned out great. It did turn out great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, Hancock. I remember seeing Hancock when I was a kid. This is about Will Smith being like an alcoholic superhuman. That was the original gritty superhero movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love this when I was a kid. It's him against Charlize Theron and Jason Bateman's in it. Um, and I don't... Like, this is one that I forget about often, but when I think about it, I have like 
fond memories. I think I saw this at somebody's birthday party and we went to the theater and like their parents didn't realize how inappropriate it was going to be, but like we all loved it anyway. Uh, he stops a train just by like standing there and hulking into it. Hancock is awesome. You guys have any other Will Smith movies that you really love? I just want to throw a Will Smith movie that I hated out, and that was Bright. <laughs> so I, I was going to talk about Bright. That. Is that Bright, in my memory, this probably isn't factual, but in my memory it was like one of like the first, like, oh, this is a big deal Netflix original movie. Do you guys remember so. that at all? Yes, yeah. I believe It felt right. like one of the first, and, you know, he was he was at the front of the game. Maybe he was a little prescient. Gemini Man, I don't know. He, I do not like that movie whatsoever, and I'm a big Ang Lee fan. I'm a big Will Smith fan, but that just did not work in any sort of way. But it had young Will Smith in it. It did not have young Will Smith. It had de-aged Will Smith, which is completely different. What if, what if they had done something like Looper and like cast one older actor as the old version and one younger version as the young... Version. That would have been fine. I have no idea who would play a young Will Smith. Maybe this... this... Jaden Smith. I don't know. You're telling me Joseph Gordon-Levitt's just going to become Bruce Willis? <laughs> Get the kid from the new Fresh Prince reboot. To be yeah, yeah, there you go. You can well, play no, him. he's... The, the issue is is that he's amphibious, so he can't be out of water. <laughs> he's for... stuck in the water. He can't, <laughs> he can't just... do much. Yeah. You're like, oh, the other assassin's here, but he's in the water, so just stay away from the water. <laughs> that's why That's why the Fresh Prince song was playing so slow, is because they were underwater and the sound can't travel as fast. <laughs> what's Just quickly, what's worse, that one or the Black Widow Nirvana slowdown? That one. I didn't think the Nirvana one was that bad. We need to stop was... slowing down songs. <laughs> Yes, I agree. There's millions of songs. You don't need to slow one down. Just pick one that fits it. I totally agree. Well, Will Smith, uh, we're hoping for many more years of this guy. Uh, he's, he's just been incredible on the screen for my entire life, our entire lives. And we're looking forward to so much more. All right, we are going to take a break now, but we are going to come back with our review of King Richard. All right, let's talk about Will Smith's latest, King Richard. This is directed by Reynaldo Marcus Green. Uh, he previously directed Monsters and Men and also had another release this year, Joe Bell, starring Mark Wahlberg. Um, I heard him interview. He sounds like a very delightful and insightful guy. This is written by Zach Balin, and this is the description from Google. Armed with a clear vision and a brazen 78-page plan, Richard Williams is determined to write his two daughters, Venus and Serena, into history. Training on tennis courts in Compton, California, Richard shapes the girl's unyielding commitment and keen intuition. Together, the Williams family defies seemingly insurmountable odds and the prevailing expectations laid before them. Can I, before I get your guys' general thoughts, just say something about movies based on real events? Sure. Okay, I... I don't know how you guys feel, but when I'm talking about a movie based on real events, I know the temptation is always like to compare, oh, this didn't really happen, that didn't really happen. Um, but at that point, you're just kind of debating history, and I think that's a good conversation. But for the purposes of the movie, 
I usually just like to discuss the movie as it was presented to us, the facts as presented in the two hours or two and a half hours in this case. Um, Do you guys have any thoughts about that kind of thing? I actually did make a note on that, and that is my problem with biopics, is that, first of all, you had, like parts are obviously over-dramatized just to make it a better story. So, I mean, that's a given, but, I, I mean, you do kind of pick and choose what's put in, so there is, like, you do wonder at the end, like, was I told the truth, like, about this real character? And, like, I mean, I guess look into it, but yeah. I, I always wonder about biopics, like, did they tell me the whole story? Which, obviously, they don't, because they can't. That wouldn't be an exciting movie if they gave you every detail, so... Yes. Uh, I, I've had the same questions, and that's why I... One, you should not try to learn about a topic through biopics. You shouldn't try yes. to learn about a person through biopics. Um, but also, that's why, to sort of just, like, avoid all that, at least for certain conversations, I just... I try to just discuss how it works as a movie, yeah, uh, not I agree as, with that. Not as a portrayal of real events, because that's that's ridiculous. It's a fictional movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if it gets into like damaging territory, then that's a different story. But uh, for King Richard, how did you guys feel about it? What are your thoughts, feelings, experiences of the movie? Matt, why don't you go? Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was For being such a long movie, I did really find myself engaged with the plot for the whole thing of it. Even considering that I'm not a big tennis person and objectively like it doesn't it wouldn't normally be a movie that I would think I would care that much about but from the first scene like when they're in the park training and the you know the gangsters come up to him and start giving him a hard time and end up beating well minor spoiler for the first scene I guess end up beating him up um and he ends up walking away from that just the way will smith portrayed that scene and the way that he composed himself in that role in that scene that that really hooked me and just the mannerisms and the accent and everything i just felt like will smith absolutely nailed it honestly all the acting was really good completely agree tyler uh, yeah, I think that covered a lot of my thoughts. I, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a, a great um, like performance by Will Smith, Oscar-worthy, absolutely. Um, but like you said, um, yes. just the rest of the cast even added to it. Uh, Demi Singleton as Serena Williams, and I'm going to butcher your name, <laughs> Sanaya Sidney as Venus mm-hmm. Williams. I thought she killed it. Um, you know, uh, It was kind of a smaller role, but... I mean, they're kind of the centerpiece of the story, so I thought she did really well with that. Um, even, like, John Bernthal as just the coach, I thought did really well. I love so John I think Bernthal. it's really... Yeah, John Bernthal's great, so anything he's in is always good. But um, just, uh, obviously, Will Smith, car- like, stole the show. I and the movie's named for his character, so that's to be expected. But um, I, I really just found it... Uh, the story was great, I think. Um, you know, like you said, leaving facts aside i don't know the whole story so i'm not gonna delve into oh this was not true or whatever i thought just the way they portrayed it you know like his he had this whole plan and like he seemed awful at points like you know the neighbors were like wow this is terrible what you're doing but like he he literally was just trying to get 
his daughters to succeed and like in such a crazy way like you know they're not going to play matches they're tennis players and for three years they're not even going to play a match like it was crazy to think and like mm. you know the whole story so you know it's going to work out but you like to think how crazy that must have been to these people like these pro tennis coaches who have seen all these pros it's such a radical idea that um like never been done before so it must have been crazy back then with based on the true story but I thought yeah. it was really good. Overall, I think this movie is really just absolutely delightful. Um, I really like this kind of movie every once in a while where like at the end of it, you feel like you've been on a long journey. This movie is almost two and a half hours, and I, I felt the runtime. Not necessarily in a bad way, though. Um, I, it just felt like a long time had passed while I was watching it. Uh, this movie, it's deep and emotional, while maintaining a really entertaining lightness to it like it gets into very deep and emotional issues but like without being gritty um, which a lot of movies are nowadays the performances are absolutely awesome um Anjanu ellis as uh, orsine or brandy uh, i believe she goes by orsine price now um her marriage to Richard Williams has since ended, but she has some absolutely incredible scenes. The kitchen scene, I always been talked about a lot, and she it absolutely kills it in that one. Sonia Sidney as Venus Williams and Demi Singleton as Serena Williams um, are two really exciting new stars, uh, and they handled their scenes well. Um, sometimes when like Venus and Serena don't always get as much screen time as maybe they should have, but they, they do make the most of what time they get. And Will Smith, I do think that this is the role probably where he, he disappears the most. Like we talked about on our top three, he is a guy who runs on persona. When you go to see a Will Smith movie, you go to see Will Smith as opposed to you know maybe like Christian Bale, who you usually go to see to disappear into a role more. You go to see Will Smith, but in this one, I wasn't getting Will Smith. I was getting Richard Williams, and I was very impressed by that. I thought he was excellent. The mannerisms, uh, the the feeling he put behind the lines, I thought this was great. Uh, it does have a lot of like classic sports films kind of tropes. Um, it is a sports film and a family film, but it has a lot of training montages. It has like preliminary rounds before the big championship. They're even as specific as like there is a cocky parent at one of the junior tournaments and he makes like rude comments and then he like gets his comeuppance when venus really beats his daughter um and like really really bratty kids reynaldo marcus green versus really coached them to be like the worst losers in the entire world the one that walks by the trophy is yeah. <laughs> How about, what about the the like eight year old that was playing and her mom was just like berating her because she lost. Yeah, she's like, I don't think you really want to be out there in the court. <laughs> Kid looked like she was six. Yeah. I th- yeah, I thought that was kind of a ham fisted way to be like, yeah, see, like what he's doing may look bad, but like look what these parents are doing. And yeah, like... Richard does say that they should be shot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this even has a road trip scene of them. Uh, moving from California to Florida. I don't know about you guys, but like when they're in that RV and there's like the desert scene in front of them, that looks so fake to me. It like took me out of the movie for a second. A hundred percent. 
And I'm like, this doesn't bother me that much, but at the same time, like that's that's so clearly not the desert that it's a little I like, ridiculous. I like the scene which threw me off was when like you could clearly see no cars were coming. And he's like, say hi to the police. Like, yeah. hi, police. Like he saw there was nothing there. Yeah, but um, Will Smith karaokeing the gambler, you know, it, it made up for it, so it was all right. Uh, I will. I do have to mention. This is the second movie in two years that uses Cruel Summer by Bananarama. Great song. They use it here as Venus is kind of making her premiere at the Juniors. And the other movie to use this was last year's Hillbilly Elegy when Amy Adams is just doing a confounding roller skate through hospital hallways, I believe. Um, I don't really think either of these movies used Cruel Summer that well, and I think Cruel Summer deserves better. Oh, there was another song in there that was just in a trailer recently, and I was like, what? Oh, it was towards the end of the movie. I wish I remembered it. I meant to um, write it down, I forgot. I don't know. They play Only the Young by Journey at uh, at uh, Rick Macy's Tennis Haven, which oh. I want to talk about in a minute. No, you know what it was? It's the same California... No, it was earlier in the movie. They play the California Dreamin' cover that's used in the ambulance trailer. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I think when she goes to the juniors as well. Yeah. Oh, I... Um... Oh, no, it's play when they go to Oakland, I believe. Oh, yes, I think yes. you're right. Yeah, that's, right. Yep. that's what yeah. it is. <laughs> I think it does a really good job of balancing the light and the dark. Um, Richard Williams had an incredibly traumatic uh, and horrible early life and, and even later life, um, and he's trying to protect his daughter from that throughout the movie we see these things um through the lightness and the family fun we see the things that richard is trying to get his daughter to run away from right we see the close-ups of uh certain guns and gun violence uh we see him getting beat up in the park and then on tv we see the rodney king attack um all these certain things that he's trying to keep his daughters from so like even as he's advancing in life and as he is trying to build up this these careers for his daughters not just venus and serena but his other daughters and well it's like uh the outside world is just catching up to him and it almost like makes this you know diamond protective shield around him where he almost doesn't want to let his daughters kind of soar um, because he's afraid that they that something bad will happen to them and it's even seen through the um, like the tennis side of it when when they see like the news story on Capriati getting arrested. Yeah. Um. So like he's even like hesitant to for them to even f- go in that career they're going just because you know he doesn't want them to end up like how she did. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Capriati. I, I guess I felt a little bad that she was. I mean, it's true events, but that I don't know. She was just kind of reduced to like the cautionary <laughs> tale. Mm-hmm. Um. I felt a little bad for that. But yeah, it is kind of used as this his reason for not letting Venus become professional too early. Um, do you guys think... Well, what I should say, this is a lovely family movie, and I think a lot of the training montages are really great. There's a really excellent sequence of them hitting tennis balls in the rain, and like the water is shooting off in these beautiful kind of sparkling waterfalls. I did think that the tennis matches in this movie were a little weak. I just didn't like it. It was there were a lot of like close-ups of them hitting the ball, and you like couldn't tell where the ball was going. I thought some of it was good, but some of it wasn't great. Uh, Matt, yeah. Go ahead. 
Yeah, you could you could tell. The only reason you could tell if it was whose like side it worked out for is by their emotes after the end of the match. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I was <laughs> literally having to listen to like the announcer of the thing to tell like they're like, oh, they're up four zero, and that's like, oh, it's four four. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I'm trying. Yeah. I'm listening to a tennis announcer. I don't know how tennis works you mean, with you this score. You mean fifteen love. <laughs> 15 love, love, yeah. 4 love, and then 4-4 four, four all. Four I was all. I was fine with that. I don't need the rules of tennis explained no, to me that's in what a movie. I, No, I'm not saying that. This I'm just saying, like, day. When, you're cutting, when you're cutting the matches like that, I thought it was odd. Because, like, I know you're not going to show a whole tennis match, but, like, that was literally all I could... You had to listen to that to realize where in this match all right, it fair is. Fair enough, yeah. Before we get into specific plot details, which I definitely want to do... Do you guys think that this movie justified having Richard as its center as opposed to Venus and Serena themselves? I thought so. I mean, I know there's been some criticism about it being, you know, sexist or, you know, it's, you know, taking too much of the spotlight away from Venus and Serena, but... I want to point out that the Williams family was heavily involved in the making of this, from what I've read, and that Venus and Serena are both producers on the movie. So I, I feel like it's if if they didn't want so much light being shed on their father, then they wouldn't have greenlit it. I don't think, or at least they wouldn't have let it be portrayed in such a way. That and how many documentaries are out there, and how many different projects have there been about their story and their lives already you know i think it's touching like a touching tribute to their father to have this biopic made yeah tyler how about you i definitely agree with that i was gonna say something very similar i think yeah there's been tons made of the venus and serena stories so i think you're not really overshadowing it because no one's gonna watch this movie and not like know who Venus and Serena are and be, get like Richard Williams was the key of that. I, I think it's just a tribute to him, like his help in getting them there. We we know the story of them. We've like it's it's been out there for a while. So I think it's bad to say like you're oh you're just showing it in the lens of them. I think it's just another story being told about someone who featured in that um, in their lives. And I think they I mean they were involved in it, so they they clearly wanted the story told. I, I read an interview by I think Serena Williams today about it and it was it was just basically saying like this is the way to show our father like who was misunderstood the his side of the story and like how he helped us and like he was ride or die for us and I think that is good like I mean it's great there's there's so much we have on them that you can have a movie about their father and not be overshadowing their success you're just showing someone who who was kind of vilified in the media those first few years. So I think they're taking back that story of their own father. So I think it, it does justify it. Yeah, I mean, obviously these these aren't real people, but it'd be like if they made a Mr. Miyagi spin-off series and then got and then people got mad that Daniel LaRusso didn't get enough of the spotlight. It's like we we've there's the Karate Kid 1 through 3 plus Cobra Kai. I mean, I'm going to need you to not step on Ralph Macchio here. I'm not stepping on Ralph Macchio. It sounds like it. No, because Ralph Macchio would agree with me. It's, I know you... It's a hypothetical. And also, we're talking about Mr. Miyagi and 
Daniel LaRusso, not Ralph Macchio. Who's this Ralph Macchio guy? Mm. Rest in peace, Pat Morita. Um, but yeah, I and you know what? Having said all that, I, I think Sanaya Sydney and Demi Singleton could have carried the movie. Um, oh, yeah, I'm not absolutely. saying that I, they oh, could have sure. carried the movie. They got enough charm. They got enough emotional depth. Uh, they were excellent. But yeah, this as a family movie, I think this totally works. All right, let's get into some plot details. So if you don't want to know anything about, I mean, we all know the real history, but if you don't want to know anything about the plot details of King Richard, I'll give you a few seconds now. We're going to go through it. Spoiler warning, if you have not seen the following movie, please turn back or accept the consequences. All right, and we are going to start in the beginning. We have Richard. He's trying to get a coach. We we learn about this plan that is many times referenced uh, throughout the movie, even though we never kind of see it. Um, we see him getting beat up in the park. We see his night job. And then we have this, what I thought was an incredibly interesting scene. We know he carries a gun at his night job as security. And then when he gets beat up in the park by the gang members, he goes and finds them. I believe they're at a restaurant. And he gets out of the car with his gun. And there's insinuating that he is going to shoot them, threaten them. We don't really know. But before he can get to them, there is a drive-by shooting in which one of them is killed. And so he, he gets out of there as fast as he can. But I thought this was such an interesting sliding doors moment of like, I, I don't know what he was going to do. Would he have derailed everybody's futures if that drive-by had not happened? What was your guys' reaction to that scene? I, I 100% agree with that. That's I, I feel like he there was a really great moment right after the shooting where it like zooms in on his face. And there's the shock, and I think it's more the shock of what he was like about to do. Mm. Like he didn't He realized, like, I just almost destroyed everything I built. Like, everything I had planned. If he did that... In one moment of anger, he would have wiped out everything. Like, there's no way he could have got away with that. So I think that that just beautifully, like, portrayed without no, without any dialogue, just that look he gives. Mm-hmm. And then when he, like, backs up into the thing, like, just, it was an excellent performance there. One thing I want to point out, too, I, I like the fact that once, like, the, the main antagonizing gang member is killed in that drive-by shooting, they're, like, all su- super supportive of them now. I thought that was a little weird. Uh, but <laughs> who knows? Yeah, that's, I, was, I found that out as well. <laughs> I do want to praise the movie. I think this is indicative of one of its strengths is that it is able to show both the beauty and the foibles of Richard Williams um, without sort of vilifying him as this tyrannical guy or showing him as a completely perfect human being. Um, I think there are maybe like some areas in which they didn't kind of didn't want to dig too deep into mm-hmm. sort of maybe some of his flaws but overall i have to praise sort of the the complexity of the character and the the care with which they handled that so after that we have him getting uh paul cohen who was played by tony goldwyn who we get these like brief cameos from actresses playing john McEnroe in pete sampras when I heard the voice, I was like excited for a second. I thought John McEnroe was actually going to make an appearance in this movie. That would have been exciting, but alas, it didn't happen. Wasn't he like recently in a commercial, some tennis commercial? 
I believe he's in a commercial with Venus Williams for like DirecTV, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, well that that makes total sense, DirecTV. Well, I think like the commercial. Now I'm explaining a commercial. It's like he's flipping between Wonder Woman and the tennis match. Oh, no, that was and Serena then it, like, Williams. Oh, here. right. It was Serena Williams. And I'm Wonder sorry. Woman. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting the sisters confused, and you're explaining commercials. Real, real, real bureaucrat. <laughs> yeah, over fair here. enough. I, I was not paying close enough attention to this commercial. <laughs> next next week on the pod, we're doing a retrospective of all the Geico commercials. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I thought uh, Tony Goldwyn was really great uh, as Coach Paul. Um, the issue is, and I thought this set up a really interesting conflict in the movie, is that he couldn't coach both Venus and Serena. Um, so he ends up just coaching Venus, um, or a scene ends up taking coaching duties for Serena, and it kind of set it setting them while they're on the same path. It develops a little bit of a fork between them, which I think the movie does a valiant effort at balancing, even if it doesn't fully deliver on the Serena storyline. Um, but that is kind of the start of it. They're playing at juniors. Venus starts off, we get all those bratty kids and that like one jerk dad who's just like that's all his character is there for. And then Serena starts playing two. And then we get this this scene where there's these couple of guys, um, Dylan McDermott is one of them. They want to be agents for Venus. Uh, we get this offer of they will provide all this stuff and um there is a really powerful moment when they keep calling the Williams story incredible and Richard goes, why is it so incredible, right? You didn't say the same thing for all these these wealthy white players. Why do you need to say it for us? Why do you have to sort of condescend and patronize? But then Dylan McDermott makes the offer and Richard's response is to fart. And... <laughs> It took me out of the scene just very slick because this was a you know a well acted, powerful scene, and then we just get this fake fart sound. And I have to say it now, I think the fake fart is going to hurt Will's chances at the Oscar, and not because it is seen as immature, but I think if he had gone full method and actually farted in the scene, then maybe it would have helped get him an Oscar. A hundred percent. That was the fakest, most generic fart sound. Yeah. Like it literally sounded like he like played it like on like a recorder or something before walking off. Like it was just, like I feel like I've heard that sound in like movies and shows. Yes, before. it was that just like when you hear one of those generic baby crying sounds in a movie, and you're like, "That's not a real baby." Or like a Wilhelm scream or something. Like, yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. It, was, it was so jarring. Like it didn't sound like it was actually in the movie. <laughs> Also, is are they supposed to take a fart as a no? Is that the, the universal sign for no? Yeah. I, I mean, I would. I, I, maybe uh, they just waited for him to come back. It's like, I'm going to go to the pool. They're like, okay, we'll talk more when you get I think, back. I think you can save it. If you make an offer to somebody and they fart, you can go, so you'll think about it. <laughs> and you can talk later. I, I like how Dylan McDermott got like two, two seconds of screen time. Yes, he did. He had six shades, though. So, really great on the costume department on that one. Uh, also, I don't think Will Smith wears long pants for this entire movie. 
I don't think there's one scene of him. It's just shorts. Yeah. Um, But then we we have a fight scene with Coach Paul. Uh, He wants he wants Venus to get more involved in the junior circuit. Richard isn't having it, and then we get this awesome Anjane Ellis uh, turn where she's saying, "You did not consult me about this decision. You're making me look like a fool." And I thought that was wonderful. I don't know if the movie always kind of lets her have her moment, um, but it, it it does do it a few times, and she really rocks it when they do give it to her. And then we get the the introduction of Rick Macy by John Bernthal. They sign a contract with him. They have the fake road trip. And then we get to this tennis haven in Florida. I was like blown away by this production design. Like surrounded by vegetation and palm trees and it's sunny. And only the young by Journey is playing and there's tennis courts. How did you guys feel seeing that that tennis oasis? I um I thought it was pretty well designed. Like I thought it was immersing immersive. Yeah, absolutely. I would have wanted to go there, and I've not played one point of tennis in my entire life. No, I would definitely, yeah, I would pick up tennis if I if it meant I could go somewhere like that. They apparently have really good burgers, so... <laughs> yeah, the burgers were great. Oh, I love burgers, so I'm sold. This is where uh, the movie really, like, kind of digs in its heels of the conflict... Because we have uh, Richard revealing to Rick Macy, who is played by an amazingly like antic and nervous John Bernthal. I feel like we haven't really seen him like this before. Um, they usually use him as so macho, so I'm, I'm so glad that Reynaldo Marcus Green sort of used him as a more high-strung kind of guy in this. I mean, he was excitable in Date Night. I'm going to call back to that again. <laughs> I Listen, I, did, I, I didn't... Date night. <laughs> I don't remember that cameo. I'll have to watch it again. I would. I, you can't even call it a cameo. It was like a before he was a star, because it was before he was even on The Walking Dead. But oh, I before digress. he was Shane. All right. Well, this creates conflict. It doesn't just create conflict with Richard and Rick. It creates conflict with Richard and Orsine, and most most importantly, Richard and Venus, because Venus. Uh, wants to go on the circuit. She wants to play matches, right? That's how she's going to get better is by playing all the best players. Uh, but like Tyler mentioned, this is when we get that Jennifer Capriati cautionary tale of getting involved with drugs, being burned out um, if you're an athlete who kind of turns professional too early. But then we get this this wonderful moment of self-power by Venus who asked Rick to talk to Richard to let her go on the circuit. This leads to what I thought was the most effective undercutting of Richard when Rick says, you know, it's all about you. You're not even listening to your daughters. And then we don't even get a reprieve from that because immediately after that, Richard walks in the house and we get one of the best scenes of the entire movie where Oracine uh, sort of lays him out and says that he needs to listen to his daughter and he needs to listen to her. Uh, or she's just going to push him away. And I thought that was totally Oscar-worthy. That was her Oscar scene on Janae Ellis. Yeah, that scene was incredible. I, I, she was phenomenal in that, but I think it was really just a, like, kind of his, this whole movie, he was confident, like, he was making all the decisions, his whole plan was right, 
And it was kind of like, you know, he didn't think about, like, you know, his daughter's the center point of this plan, and, like, he's not giving her a say. So I think it was a really good takedown of his whole kind of character to that point where, like, he's, like, he realizes, you know, you got to give Venus a say in this. Like, you can't just plan every single move for her. And I think that that worked out very well, especially with, uh, um, uh, how do you say her name? I'm sorry. <laughs> Ingenue. Ingenue. Um, her performance in that. I apologize for oh. saying it wrong. Yes, I apologize too. Um, but I think her performance in the kitchen just, like, you know, it could have blown up in that. Like, he, he was awful in that. And she's just like, I've been here. Like, I've been training him. Like, you know, really just like. It, just to that point, he thought, like, hey, this is all for my family, but, like, he became the center of that, and he he didn't realize up until that point, so I thought it was a really effective way to show him kind of loosening up and realizing, like, he's got to give control over to Venus. Yeah, I, I think it's successful at cutting him down. I don't know if, like, the movie goes as far as maybe it could have with kind of, like, exploring his control of the situation because ultimately like even though they kind of cut him down in a few scenes richard does end up being portrayed as being like ultimately right about most things um hey which maybe is true to real life um and maybe that's just how they wanted to portray it i do think a lesser version of this movie would have had him be um this guy who was just you know we have these great men these godlike men in movies that he can do no wrong and all stuff and I also think a lesser version of the movie would have painted him as a tyrannical guy who didn't know anything, which is, is obviously not the case. I agree. I think it definitely was a nice balanced um, portrayal. I mean, as far as the context of the movie, obviously the movie and history may not necessarily line up 100%, but I thought it was yeah. a nice balance. It showed him, I mean... So I, I would say maybe a chaotic good. Like Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like, you know, he was he meant well, but he definitely had his flaws in his character. Which is, we all do. So no no judgment from me at all. Uh, I think one thing the scene did effectively is they brought up his past like kids. Yeah. As like a you know, this you failed them, like and he kinda of realized like and there I could have gone in more depth, I'm sure. Yeah. But just kind of like, you know, this is like, I'm here with you, but you like, you weren't there for them. Kind of like he, his ultimate flaw was that he like abandoned his other kids for this. And I I think that was kind of what I didn't see that coming at all. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then we have another wonderful moment with this, this Nike conversation. Um, Venus gets an offer for an endorsement of, I think it was originally 2 million, two or 3 million. It was three, uh, I believe. It was three? Yeah, it was three. And then she says, no, I want to show him what I can do. And ultimately it paid off. But I'm going to ask you guys, would you have taken the $3 million without anybody seeing you play? I would have taken the $3 million and immediately retired. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, no, you know, no one's going to get the chance to see me fail. I just got $3 million. Well, well listen, I would have taken at least two mil because, you know, that's my rate. So, <laughs> even if I do a bad job, I still get two mil. How'd you come to kids. that figure? How'd you come to two million? Two million? Because I'm... That's my rate. I'm saying That's his rate. 
They gotta pay him. You came out of the womb and you're like, two million, that's my rate. And they're like, why is this this newborn talking? I mean, he starred in Detective Crashmore. They paid him two million (laughs) dollars. That's his rate. Detective Crashmore, that's like that cosmic gumbo of a movie, right? Mm. Uh, We have... We have Venus who goes on. She's uh, kind of the final scene in the movie. She goes to play at Oakland's Bank of the West Classic. She does incredibly well in the first rounds. And then, so kind of towards the end of the movie, we get a little veering off of Serena. I feel like we didn't see her as much. But then we get this this scene that I don't know if I fully bought because it seemed like a little hindsight scene where Serena's kind of looking at the court and you can tell that there's some some longing for her to be out there. She wants to get started because she's incredibly talented as well. And then Richard's like, I know that your sister's playing right now, and but don't worry because you're going to be even better than she is. <laughs> Which is like, that's not what he says, but like that's how I took it. Yeah, that, that is how it comes off because he's like, she's going to be the number one player in the world, but you're going to be the greatest of all time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You- there's no way he's actually said that. No, like I've been keeping you in her shadow. It was a little revisionist. I mean, I guess it's okay for the movie. It it was a slight eye roll for me, but <laughs> I agree with that. It's okay. It it was effective. He he had great chemistry with the daughters, uh, and then we get this final scene. This is Venus's champion against the champion Sanchez Vicario, um, and. I just thought this was a little overlong and not super exciting. And I understand that's kind of the point because Venus comes out strong. Uh, she wins the first set and she is propped to win the second set as well. And then Vicario um, ices her by pretending, well, we don't really know if she went to the bathroom or not. The world may never know. <laughs> but she goes to the bathroom for like 10 minutes um, supposedly to, to get, get inside Venus's head. But even so, I just thought there wasn't as much energy to this scene. There was something kind of lost here. There were just a lot of like reaction shots of the family mm-hmm. and of Richard just kind of like standing there being like, come on, come on. And... <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for Richard to like do something. To, like, There's yeah, one to reaction shot. <laughs> There's one reaction shot during the the match where she's winning we're like it cuts to a like a random person in the crowd and they dance by like literally like just what? shaking like and i was just like what is that i totally missed that what he dances you didn't see that? No. there's a person that like like cheering and they're just like bouncing side to side slightly i'm like who does that at a tennis match <laughs> into the match it's the it's the shark from the super bowl <laughs> It's just the weirdest, like, slight dance in, like, next in front of their seniors. Like, Why is that in, like, is that how people react to tennis? It, was, it wasn't a floss, was it? They weren't doing TikTok dances? <laughs> they, were, they were not floss. I gotta, on what portion of the screen was this? Because I gotta go back and look. Yeah, I think it was, like, off to the side from, like, the person it was focused on. I'm gonna, I gotta look now it up. I have to watch I'm this half-hour scene again. I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the time stamp for that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I am, I am incredibly fascinated now. But all right, that that changes my whole opinion on this scene. <laughs> all right, but 
We get we get Vicario coming back from the bathroom. Venus kind of starts to lose it a little bit, and then um, history spoiler is that Venus loses the match. She's incredibly young though, and obviously we know what happens. But this is of course a major disappointment, especially she came out of the gate so strong. Um, but it's you know it ends up where she gave it her best. She went the distance as Rocky did. And she has this incredible fan base now. And she obviously, her and Serena, go on to incredible success. I thought this was a great way to end the movie. Um, And I think this speaks to the challenge of modern sports movies. Is that in kind of the 70s and 80s, we kept getting this formula of, you know, somebody who's maybe slightly an underdog. They train, they win, and then they lose something. And then in the end, they win, right? And we got that a lot over and over and over again. Uh, the biggest example of this, and sorry to spoil this movie, but Southpaw, Jake Gyllenhaal as the boxer, um, which is a good movie. It's a decent movie, but like very formulaic. And one of the reasons I don't think it worked as well is because people had seen that story a billion times before, whereas this very cleverly does not make the movie about Venus winning that match. I mean, largely because we already, you know, if you know tennis history, you know that she didn't win. But it makes it about her proving herself um, and showing what she can do, right? That's the point of it, not her winning or losing. Uh, So I I thought that very cleverly circumvented the problem um, that these sports movies have of how do you tell a compelling story without reverting back to that conventional model. Well said. Thank you. Do you guys have any last thoughts or opinions on King Richard? We did not have any harmless, uh, I mean, uh, harmless, we did not have any uh, needless uh, deaths of inanimate objects, so I thought that was uh, great. We needed a movie like that. That was a nice, (laughs) nice reprieve from that. Those uh, tennis balls were knocked over, and that was really upsetting, though. <laughs> what about the racket that he hit the gangster guy with? Does that count? Well, that guy, they, yeah, they maybe had it coming to him. Also, I have a closing thought, and I found it. It's at slightly after two hours and four minutes, a couple seconds later, and the person's going like this. <laughs> See? Oh, it's Psy? <laughs> what? I didn't know Psy was doing... <laughs> Yeah, it's Sai. It's Sai doing the Gangnam style dance. Wow, that was really be- before its time. That we joke, should have known. I, that joke would have been a little more effective if this was a video podcast. This is true. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was for you oh, guys. Yeah. Tyler was doing a lasso like motion over his head. Should While he's like riding a horse. Yes. Uh, so this is set up to be a big Oscar player, and I think it makes sense. It is very crowd-pleasing while not being like too saccharine or too light. I think all the emotional touches work very well without you kind of, without your teeth rotting. Uh, and let's start with Best Supporting Actress. So on Variety, Variety has an Oscars hub, which I think I've mentioned it before, but I'm an Oscars freak. I love it all. Um and Variety has an Oscar hub that I think is awesome. Anjanou Ellis is currently number three in the odds for Best Supporting Actress, uh, right behind Catriona Balfe for Belfast, which 
I haven't seen. I don't think you guys have seen it yet either. Nope. No. And number one right now is Kirsten Dunst uh, for The Power of the Dog, which is getting quite a lot of buzz, though I, I haven't seen it yet. I don't think it's out yet. I thought you were going to say for Spider-Man No Way Home. Is she in it? She could be. <laughs> I, I sub- <laughs> I'd be here for that. Kirsten Dunst has the potential to be in any movie at any time. I mean, I mean, realistically, she's the only Mary Jane we've gotten on screen so far still, because MJ technically isn't from the, from the Holland series isn't Mary Jane. It's Michelle. Oh, that's true. Something. That's uh, true. And then we got Gwen Stacy. So yeah, Spider Verse, um, or you know, No Way Home, Multiverse of Madness. Let's get Kirsten Dunst back to this Mary Jane. She's incredible as Mary Jane. We will talk about that on the on the Spider-Man episode. Uh, but best actor right now, number one, guess who it is? It's Will Smith right now. Whoa, who would have thought? He is leading the pack, and you know what? I, I think he deserves it. Um, I haven't seen all the other movies. Number two right now is Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom. I'm, I plan on watching that soon. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch again for The Power of the Dog. This is it. I mentioned the piano before from Jane Campion. This is Jane Campion's newest movie. Is this the prequel to Dog? The Power of the Dog? <laughs> yeah. American Underdog. Well, we had a lot of dog movies lately. I would assume Dog would come before The Power of the Dog. <laughs> but it doesn't. The Revenge of Dog. Dog Kills. Dog based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Uh, DiCaprio is number four Don't Look Up and Denzel we got the tragedy of Macbeth coming I feel like people keep forgetting about this movie Joel Cohen Joel Cohen by himself Uh, no Ethan this time I think that's how they're going to say it at the Oscars too nominated for best director Joel Cohen by himself no Ethan this time (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) and they'll have to announce it that Warren Beatty or whoever announces is going to have to announce it that way too and say that every time. Yes. I just want to point out number six, because this is a movie that I'm excited for. Uh, Clifton Collins Jr., who is always awesome in any movie he's in, is going to be starring in Jockey, about an aging jockey um, who has some family drama. This is from Searchlight, so it's possible that this won't be available until after the Oscars. Not Searchlight, I'm sorry. Sony Picture Classics. Sorry to... to talk bad about searchlight this is from sony picture classics so i hope that we can see it uh before the oscars uh, and then best picture number one right now is belfast so i am excited to see that soon number two king richard do you guys think you have a ch- would you be satisfied with this as the academy's best picture of the year I'd have to see all of them to say that, but mm. I don't know. Like, I, as much as I love the performances, I don't know if it's a Best Picture winner. Yeah, same. I was gonna say the same thing. Like, I'd have to see some of the other ones to really say for sure. I mean, it's it's good. It it's good. I'd say it's worth at least being nodded to. But I, without seeing the other ones for context, I can't say for sure. I will say this isn't my favorite movie of the year either. But it feels like a Best Picture winner. Like, it's just, it's very crowd-pleasing. Uh, it's very crowd-pleasing to, uh, you know, it's kind of four-quadrant. I feel like everyone can enjoy this. 
Um, it has a powerful message. It's about people that we know and love, which the Academy often rewards. We have, <coughs> excuse me, we have this Will Smith narrative of, of him getting his first Oscar. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I could see it being a Best Picture winner. I mean, I could definitely see it. I just don't know. I, I don't know. I, I guess I, it's probably one of the only ones I've seen so far that are going to be nominated. All right, I've got the list pulled up. You want me to read you some of them? Yeah, please do. All right, so number one right now is Belfast. So I, I would like to see that soon. Uh, this yeah, is, same. of course, Kenneth Branagh's uh, story about growing up in Ireland. Number two, King Richard. Number three is The Power of the Dog. So it's kind of a dark horse. Number four... Tyler, this is for you. It's Dune. Is it really? Yeah, I'm not kidding you. Are you joking? I don't want that any more than you do. <laughs> no. Stop it, Academy. Stop. I mean, this is just... You need to stop. These are Variety's projections. Uh, number... I don't care. If they even nod at that, I'm going <laughs> to write them in a strong-worded letter. <laughs> number five is Tick, Tick, Boom. This is Lin-Manuel Miranda's... Uh, musical about Jonathan Larson. Number six is Licorice Pizza, which I don't... This is going to have a very weird rollout schedule. Uh, even the trailer had a weird rollout schedule, but hey, <laughs> hey, we'll see it. I have faith in Paul Thomas Anderson. Being okay. in the Ricardos is number seven. Tragedy of Macbeth is number eight. Number nine is The Lost Daughter, Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut. And number ten is Don't Look Up. And coming in strong, and I think this is going to be like... Like a horse in a race that comes up from behind, number twenty-four right now is Cyrano. So it's <laughs> gonna end up number one soon. Cyrano, of course, being Matt and Tyler's most anticipated movie of the year. Of course, they are looking forward to it so much. Wait a minute, uh, is Ambulance gonna fall in this cycle? Because if so, no, it's not. A, it will be a twenty-two nice, movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Cyrano, just just behind the tender bar, which is George Clooney's <laughs> latest. I, uh, I hope Ty Sheridan's a lot better than that. That's <laughs> the Night Clerk. Well, he was in the Night Clerk, and then I didn't think he was. And I like Ty Sheridan a lot. If you've never seen um, Joe, he's really great in that with Nicolas Cage. Um, but I didn't think he was great in the card counter either. No, I didn't think so either. No, and that average. was anchored by a very strong Oscar Isaac performance. Um, passing at, tw- at 21, behind The Last Duel. I'm excited. We haven't seen a lot of these movies yet. Uh, we still got West Side Story from Steven Spielberg. I, I, I mean, this is one of the biggest Hollywood movies ever, being directed by one of Hollywood's biggest directors ever. We have Come On, Come On, which I've heard is great. Nightmare Alley, which I'm super excited for. I love Guillermo del Toro. So we got a lot left to see, and I am super excited for it. But right now, King Richard is hanging at number two, and I could I could see this winning Best Picture. Mm-hmm. But whatever you think about King Richard, about the dog trailer, uh, about anything, please write to us at silverscreensaverspod.com at gmail.com we want to hear from you we want to interact with you that is our biggest reason for doing this pod is we want to talk to you guys follow us on twitter and instagram at screensavers pod and our facebook is silver screen savers podcast matt where can you be found online online i can be found at maddie x sturds s-t-u-r-d-z that's on instagram twitter and letterbox i finally actually started writing 
out my thoughts on Letterboxd instead of just rating stuff. My first one uh, was my thoughts on that movie, No Escape, a.k.a. Follow Me. Uh, it's an ironic uh, first movie for me to really like put my thoughts down in words on, but uh, if you're curious what I thought of that, go follow me on Letterboxd, at MattyXSturds. All right, Tyler, where can you be found online? I can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sutkus. It's S-U-T-K-U-S. And I can be found on Instagram and Twitter, Michael underscore Gallat, all lowercase, and on Letterboxd at mgallat, G-A-L-A-T. Well, thank you guys so much for being with us. Next week, we are going to be discussing an iconic director who's had two major releases this year the new one is house of gucci and the other one is last duel that's right we're going to be talking about ridley scott uh, who has been in the news quite a bit lately so thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time silver screen savers co-created written hosted and produced by michael gallant tower circus and matt sturdivant with additional editing by matt sturdivant intro music by charles michelle via pixabay logo designed by nathan seidel